Hey everyone, welcome to the Delta Flyers. We are a weekly podcast that discusses episodes of Star Trek Voyager in chronological order. Your two hosts along this podcast journey are myself, Garrett Wong, aka Ensign Harry Kim, and Robert Duncan McNeil, who portrayed Lieutenant Tom Paris. If you're interested in either an extended version of this podcast or the extended video version of this podcast, both of which include added bonus segments, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the Delta Flyers and sign up to become a patron. Hello, Robbie. How are you today? Hello, Gary. Gary is the French... It's the French pronunciation of Gary. Yeah, I just you know felt, who used I was to, feeling a little <laughs> le français. Le français. You know who used to call me Garay all the time? Roxanne? Yes. Ah. Good. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. I'm impressed. Well, I married I, her. I know I should know you, her. She was my did. wife. Okay. She was your TV wife. That's yeah. her, your on-camera wife. That's so um, I'm super impressed because when we had our production meeting um a few days ago yeah while we were talking because basically jess miller our um editor and you know she's she had to talk to us about our sound not being as primo as it could be dialed in she was dialing us in you mentioned that that you needed a pop filter and possibly something to raise your microphone off of the table and while we were talking, you just looked at your phone and within seconds you had ordered via Amazon, Amazon. Amazon. Your, the arm, the pop filter. I know that the, the one little thing is not fitting. That's the one, one downside. There is right? one is little that, thingy. That, where is it? That, oh. Where's that little piece? So I was trying to be super pro. This, yeah. this is uh, what I'm holding right now is one of those suspension mm-hmm. uh, uh, mounts for a microphone yeah. where it's kind of old fashioned, like, the elastic and it, it right. absorbs vibration and things like that. So right. I ordered this little piece so I could, again, trying to deliver top quality grade A sirloin podcast to everyone out there. You got to like shout out to the plant-based eaters out there. So besides grade, eaters, a, yes. grade A asparagus, uh, yes. can we go with that? Okay. We can go with uh, tofu, yeah. top tofu, I like a little <laughs> alliteration, the top tofu. Yes. podcast but anyway this uh, this little thingy here was too small so um, so your mic's just too st- big then is that yes. what you're saying you've got a really big microphone you know what big hands <laughs> big mic that's what they say right hey big, you know big what? hands big mic big heart i think that's a new one but i'll go with yeah. that one okay <laughs> all righty what are we watching this week? State of Flux is our episode. Okay. And um, I just want to say that uh, for all of you Patreon patrons, we're about to play a little game of what do we remember. For everybody else, stay tuned as we go watch the episode and we will be right back to discuss and analyze State of Flux. All right, guys, we're back from watching State of Flux. State of Flux. <laughs> Yes. I mean, this was an episode I did not remember. Um, And in fact, even watching it, there were so many things I did not remember. I felt like I felt like a fan watching this episode. It was like, (laughs) I was like, oh, my God, wait, what? They're going to do what? Anyway. Yeah, it was. Well, it's it's interesting because. If you think about it, if there's episodes that we don't have a lot of scenes in, those are the episodes we're not going to remember much of. Like you were on the bridge 
only in this yep. episode. I was on the bridge and I was also on the planet in the very beginning. Uh, basically, Voyager uh, goes down to a planet to forage for supplies. Um, mm -hmm. We get a distress call from a Kazon ship. We go, we go investigate and discover that um, there's been an accident. Um, and then more disturbing is that there are traces, traces of Starfleet um, uh, technology, basically, or minerals mm -hmm. that are only used in Starfleet technology um, it, within this Kazon ship that's had the accident. And then now there is this whole, I guess, investigation into, um, is it somebody from our ship that has mm -hmm. betrayed us, that's given away this technology? Mm -hmm. was, it a, was it a Starfleet ship that got sucked into the Delta Quadrant before us that we don't know about, you mm -hmm. know? But then we narrowed down to no, in, indeed, it is somebody from the engineering crew that did this. Um, mm -hmm. The suspects are, are Ensign Carey, or is it Lieutenant Carey? I, I don't remember what his- Lieutenant Carey. Lieutenant Carey and Ensign Seska are the main suspects. And through, you know, trial and error and, and setting up little traps, they discover it's, it's Seska. And mm -hmm. um, Janeway is not happy about that. And Seska escapes. And that's the basic synopsis of this show. Yeah. And, you know, to be honest, I, I did not remember the, the betrayal or, or at least Seska aligning with the Kazon this early. I thought this was in season three or something, but this is still season one. Oh God, yeah, yeah. very early. Very yeah. early and then this, and this stuff happens. Um, so that to me was, was kind of a surprise. And also the director, Robert Shearer, I don't remember him at all. I think this may be the only, was this the only one he directed or did he direct more? has to be and but you but you mm -hmm. would agree with me if i threw out names alan craker if i threw out any other names you would say yes i remember him yes yeah. i remember him you know no problem kim friedman yes i remember him um i but think i think bob shearer was one of the old school directors who mm -hmm. had done a lot of next generation and it was our first season and we got a lot of the same crew you know, the same players that had been doing Next Gen on a mm -hmm. semi-regular basis, they sort of came into season one until we developed our own little stable of directors. Like Alan Craker had not done Next Gen, I don't think. I think right. he came on to Deep Space Nine was his first Star Trek. I looked him up because I couldn't remember him either. He mm. started as an actor in the 40s uh, oh, wow. in Broadway musical theater. He was a performer in Broadway musicals, which... Oh, wow. I'm shocked that I didn't know that because that's kind of how I got started was in yeah. New York theater and doing a lot of musical theater. Yeah. Um, so I wish I, had, I knew that or had talked to him about that. I bet he had some amazing stories. But yeah, he started in the theater and New York theater, Broadway doing musicals and then uh, started directing some comedies. I think he won an Emmy for directing the Danny Thomas show in the 60s, uh, late oh, wow. 60s, and then uh, had directed lots of star trek and yeah it's funny that we we didn't uh well he died in 2018 and he was 88 or 89 years old i mm -hmm. think i read so that means when he directed us he was in his late 60s um probably retired you know close to retirement or or even sem semi-retired i was gonna say that i got goosebumps when you were talking about 
you know, that you should have known this guy because you had your start in music, musical theater and he was yeah. an actor back in the day. And I got goosebumps because I started thinking about flash forward 40 years from now, two actors are doing their, you know, <laughs> podcast uh. and they're like, huh, that was directed by Robert Duncan McNeil. He started as an actor. I but should know started him. Mu- I should know that guy because before that he did uh, musical uh, theater. He uh, did Into the Woods, uh, and you know I started in musical theater <laughs> in the year in the year twenty twenty one. But uh, you know that was my first musical theater play, and these two guys are talking about you. <laughs> you know, funny. forty years from now, uh, as a as sort of a um, you know time. Yeah, time flies. Yeah, time, time flies. Fly. And That's what watching some of these episodes for me has really reinforced like in a blink of an eye. This seems like yesterday that we made a lot of these episodes, but yet it seems like 200 years ago, you know, mm-hmm. in, in other ways, it seems it yeah. can, it's kind of both things. It's, it's just happened and it happened many lifetimes ago. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Did you notice how many sayings that there were like the adages, old adages, never judge a f- Fruit yes. by its skin was one that Neelix came up with, right? And then uh, at the end, you hear Chakotay talking about, um, am I the only one who had the wool pulled over his eyes, you know? Uh-huh. And, and then uh, uh, misery loves company. You know, there's this, this, this was the, the episode of sayings, you know? Old, yeah, old there was sayings. a lot of, there was a lot of sayings. I did notice that, yeah. And what a weird blocking when, when Neelix is on the planet and talking about, um, uh, that that one apple that if you eat it you die whatever yeah. and he says if then you feel this 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 thing that starts in your in your leg and it goes all the way up to your and then Beltran catches his hand and stops it right at while he's pointing at Ensign Carey's crotch basically yeah. and I just thought what a weird direction and what weird blocking that was you know to see that I don't, I don't know what- it seemed a little I mean uh, Robert Shearer who directed this now that I you know after I watched this episode. I guess my impression of the of the shooting style was very old fashioned. It almost mm-hmm. felt like like it was from the original series, you know, a little mm-hmm. bit a little bit um, old fashioned. Yeah. Whereas we had had some directors like Les Landau or Rick Colby directing, yeah. doing some really interesting for the time for the mid camera moves. Yes, yeah. very cinematic sort of um, designed shots. And then we got to that scene where where Neelix is pointing and talking about the poison and it felt very proscenium. It felt like a sitcom almost Mm. like Neelix sort of walked in and took his place and turned open to the camera. It felt, um, yeah, it felt a little old fashioned to me. I did. I definitely noticed the directing style and that, that happens in shows when you have different directors for each episode, you get slightly different looks, you know, they're going to look a little different. Yeah. When I come down to say, hey, Seska's missing, I tell that to Chakotay. Mm. Um, I noticed that I, when I turned to profile, that my butt looked really good. <laughs> wow. I, I'm gonna bring this up because, this is because Megan always says that I have no ass. She says, you have such a flat ass. And historically in my 20s, 30s, I would say that I had a really good but bordering on 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 you know it was a it was a good butt full butt you had, had all, full plenty butt, of butt man. plenty of butt. butt what yes. happened to it where'd it go age and, ah. and lack of yes and lack of uh, being in the gym but now 
watching that is going to really give me sort of this incentive yeah. to really start doing squats and getting that butt back to where it used to be. And so it nice. kind of gets me mad whenever Megan goes like, you have a, you have a flat, butt, you have no butt. And it makes me a little upset. And when I see Aww. that episode, I really want to be able to show that to her and say, okay. look, yeah, you need to get a screen grab of that, that moment of that moment, close that up, moment. zoom in on the butt. You can and then and then just make it your like your home screen on your phone or something. <laughs> exactly. And also in that scene, the the, the famous Leola route is finally introduced. Oh, I made the same note. I made yes. the same note. So yes, because Neelix, uh, Johnny Phillips, Ethan Phillips, for years yeah. would talk about Leola route, oh, and that God. was the first time I think we brought it up. By the way, it was it was Ginger root with something else stuck on top. Like Added that, on top. Yeah, yeah, that's what they the props department used to do with our, our crazy food. They would take two very often Asian foods because they, <laughs> they seem the most kind of sci-fi and exotic, but they'd yes. take two of them and, and you know combine them into some weird alien food. Into a hybrid food, yeah. exactly. And um, yeah, and I don't remember Chakotay biting it off and it being that bitter. And the fact that uh, Neelix mentions, you know, you'll get over the mildew t a taste or whatever. And I was like, oh my God, it really is kind of, you know, nasty. That sounds disgusting. Where did mm -hmm. they film that? I, I was wondering because we never went on location. So that was very unusual to see us opening up on a exterior location. We almost, I think we would go out maybe once or twice a year yeah. season to location, so. Do you remember do you that, that was? Do, no. Do you think that was in Victorville? I don't know. I mean, no, I just, I don't, I don't think, think they would spend the budget on going that far for that one scene, you know? No. So I, I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess Bronson Caves. Those caves oh, up in yeah. Bronson where we shot the, uh, the 37s, that one episode with Amelia Earhart that's coming yep. up later. So I think maybe, because there's that scene where Chakotay finds Seska in the caves, right? So I'm thinking that cave was the Bronson Caves, up in Bronson Canyon, which is in LA, right? Yeah. right? And that's it's up, up in Hollywood. It's most people yeah. would recognize this from the old Batman series uh, yes. in the 60s when the Batmobile comes out of the, um, you know, uh, the mansion, the, bat, the mm, bat Cave. Bat Cave. When it comes out of the Bat Cave, you see that car coming out of the, the big opening. Of, that was Bronson Caves. That's, that's Bronson. the same cave, yeah. Yep. By the way, so, Chakotay goes into that, he, he goes into that cave. But then I wondered if like when Seska appears and almost shoots him and there's a quick shootout, I wondered if they had shot that parts of that on our standing cave set. Um, Stage 16. Hmm. Yeah. It seemed like it maybe was partially at a location when Chakotay first goes in and then partially on our stand, standing sets, but not, not clear. Yeah, it's interesting how they they added that line when um, Chakotay and Sessa sort of bump into each other in the caves, and she says, "Bless the prophets." So she uses something that a Bajoran would say, mm -hmm. um, getting that set up, you know, for later to find yeah. out that she's not really Bajoran. So mm -hmm. that's yeah. Um, By the way, <clears throat> I didn't I didn't realize how important the the romance between Chakotay and Seska really was. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that they even had a romance before. But clearly, they were in a in a relationship, and they talk about Chakotay talks about you know we we 
we already agreed that we're not going to go down this path, you know? Yeah. So it's sort of like they were together, then they broke up, you know, but there's still that affection towards each other. Yeah. They mentioned in one of the earlier episodes of the season that we, we watched and, and uh, recapped, there was a reference to them dating. And I remember, oh. I remember clocking that and going, Oh, that's interesting. I don't, I don't know which episode I forget. So they've hmm. already mentioned it. And, but in this episode, they definitely refer to it. I guess I would say that I almost wish in this episode early on when she brings, uh, when Seska brings Chukote the mushroom soup, mm -hmm. I wish it did seem like they were, like he was kind of warming up to her and maybe gonna, you know, go, get back into a relationship. I wish that they had gotten into a, a relationship yeah. because I feel mm -hmm. like the betrayal and the humiliation that Chukote feels could have been more uh, amplified if he had really, you know, even if it was just this one episode, like the mushroom soup could have led to them really, okay, you know what? Yeah, like we're meant for each other. Because he, you know, getting him really hooked as opposed to, I know that the value that they, they, they wanted to see was Chakotay saying, wait a minute, you broke into the kitchen? Like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a rules guy now and you can't break the rules. But I felt like that took away from their romance. And I think their romance should have been built up even more. I'd forgotten mm -hmm. it as big as it was, but I wish it had gotten built up even more because I think there could have been an emotional sort of betrayal that was even deeper with Chakotay if he had committed to, to being back in a relationship with her. Well, I almost feel like it was already that deep. It's just that he was masking it and not really showing it how mm -hmm. much it affected him because that final scene of him approaching Tuvok, who definitely is not the person that he typically yeah. <laughs> wants to go have counsel with, right? Um, was really him just grabbing at any straws that he could because he was so betrayed. Because I feel that deep down, he was he's always been in love with Seska. And from that scene with the soup, I almost felt like their relationship was more friends with benefits like they've been hooking up this whole time you know what i'm saying like mm. that's been the underlying thing but they just haven't officially said that they were boyfriend and girlfriend um but i, I still think that there was a physical relationship happening but the love was there i, I do believe that it was mm. it was there good yeah i think that helps the story a lot the more <clears throat> that that comes across i also loved when seska goes you know and if you're not interested uh i've got my eye on <laughs> harry again harry gets another girl I don't know why Paris has the reputation for the ladies' man, because Harry Kim, Chicote had more. Those guys had way more action than Tom Paris. She had her eye out on young, uh, young Harry Ensign Kim. Kim is Ensign what she Kim. said. Yes, look at that. That yeah. would have been an interesting relationship. So then uh, when we get the Kazon distress call, and we finally see you on the bridge. Finally again. Finally. Your hair makes a perfect, the front part makes a perfect wave. Yeah. Like I, I thought if I was a surfer, I'd be thinking about, I need to go surfing right now. Like that's a, <laughs> that's a surfable. <laughs> I can surf that hair wave. It looked really good. Your hair looked they great. They spent so much time on our hair. Do you, I mean, do you remember? <laughs> yes. Like yes. The, yes. The mousse we, we, and the product and the blowing yeah. and the shaping and the spraying and. Yeah. yeah, we had a whole separate hair trailer. That was just hair. Remember that? So yeah. it was makeup and then hair. It's a lot of places it's makeup and hair together, but it was makeup in one, hair in another. So yep. hair was a big, big deal. Big deal. 
you mentioned we saw the Kazon ship and Janeway decides to get involved. She's like, you know what? We don't know. We don't have any friends in this, you know, quadrant and we're going to need all the friends we can get. Let's go try to help them. The stranded mm -hmm. ship, the distress call. And I'm thinking that's a bad call. Like you already know who the Kazon are. Yeah. Why are you going to engage? I just immediately thought, that's a bad, that's a bad call, Janeway. Yeah. But and Seska same... says it later, by the way. Seska says yeah. it later. But see, that that also makes me wonder. Her instinct of, we need as many friends as we can get in this quadrant. Let's go help them. Is the same instinct that Seska had before to give them the technology. If you think about that, yeah. it's, it's, she was like, let's get allies because we're in the middle of the Delta Quadrant where we have no friends. Yeah. So really, Seska is already on the same wavelength as Janeway, just a little bit more advanced. She had already made the deal. Okay, mm -hmm. let me give you, and it's true, she didn't give them, she didn't give them our top secrets of, of weapon technology. She gave them our food replicator technology. It wasn't like, you know, it was um, major secrets of Starfleet. It was literally like, look, if I give you a little of this, then maybe you guys can, you know, help us mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. So I, I find it very interesting that, that Seska, um, from the get-go, is, is kind of already thinking what Janeway ended up saying. And, and yeah, you're right. Um, making that decision is probably not the smartest because we've already dealt with the Kazon already. And, and I'm sure all the different sects of Kazon, different tribes of Kazon tribes, Mm -hmm. They all communicate with each other, with each other. They already know that we were the ones that you know um, mm -hmm. screwed up uh, the, the array that could have helped that one Kazon sect. And then now um, the word is out. The Voyager guys, those guys are from another. Uh, yeah, they're, they're bad. You know, yeah. look out for them. Right. I found I found it a very a very risky under the circumstances, very risky move. Mm -hmm. to go to, to do that so which leads to some of the problems in the episode just the i mean all the problems really yeah, that just brings me back though to the to the first scene where there's kazon in the cave why are they in the cave why are they why, yeah is that their base i don't i don't get it you know was that where she was she was talking understand. to them i i don't Maybe. understand either i Maybe. yeah that's a that's a detail that's not that's kind of broad strokes that's not really tied up in this episode maybe there's an episode coming up with Seska that's going to you know when she'll be back um yeah wouldn't their weapons be set on kill instead of stun because you know they they stun Chakotay like he didn't yeah. die and that's another thing that I would thought hmm that's interesting yeah maybe that's because uh Seska told them to you know Seska was like look whenever you you know when you come mm -hmm. across us Make sure you don't put it on kill because this is my lover. You know, yeah. I, I love him. So that's probably the reason behind that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the Kazon Bridge, when we see that, we see the we see the Kazon that are dead, that are that are kind of fused into the bulkheads of the yeah. bridge and stuff like that. That to me reminded me of something that I had, I don't know if it's oh, I cannot remember exactly what the story was. But there was some type of conspiracy theory about the US Navy back in the 40s or the 50s doing some type of research i may have the decade wrong mm -hmm. but that they were trying to do some type of research with some type of shifting in time stuff that went wrong and when everything went wrong that's exactly what happened crewmen were fused into like the bridge and Whoa. 
the walls, just like in this, in this episode. So, well, um, I don't know if you remember anything like that um, in your, in terms of whether it was a, I can't remember if this was something was either conspiracy theory, theory or this was actually a movie that I, right. I had seen bits of something, but I, I seem to recall that, you know, something with the U S Navy trying to do some, some top secret type of research and then wow. weird happened like that. So that's what that reminded me of. Wow. Um, and the Kazon just, let's just talk about what they're wearing to me. When okay. I look at their garb, when I look at what they're, what they're wearing, it looks very much like a Mongolian nomadic tribesman. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Good, you get that good feeling. Call. Okay. Yeah. Right. And then the hair here with this tribe, the Nistrum, different from some of the, the Kazon from the pilot episode where they interweaved the, the pig ears into their hair. Um, yeah. they, inter, they put that in there. The, um, that you, the pig ears that you feed dogs were put into their hair. These guys, they put sponges that were kind of colored into their hair, which made it really look like coral from the sea. Like, so I, I thought, Wow. Now that reminds me of Pirates of the Caribbean, where there's a guy who has coral coming out of him and everything yeah. in one of the, one of the, one of the uh, sequels to the first uh, movie. And it's just so damn distracting. I really yeah. just, I just really wish they did just found a different way to do their hair because they, I almost felt like, you know what? Screw the hair, get rid of the hair entirely. Just be bald. Because their, their facial, you know, the, yeah. the makeup for their face alone is menacing enough. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And with a bald head without any type of hair or maybe, you know, a single mohawk, you know, across would have been really menacing. But when you're looking at that big thing of sea coral and Afro yeah. together, it's just it, like, eh, you're doing it, nothing for me, you know? It, yeah, yeah. It, it almost looks like they have, like they're too concerned with their hair. It takes away from their strength. Like they have to spend a lot of time to get that very self-aware, messy look that they have. Like they have to go to the salon yes. a lot. They've got to, it, it, it's, a, it's a very high maintenance look and it takes away from their, their threat. I feel like on the Kazon homeworld, every other business is a salon. Yes. So there's a hair salon on yes. every corner in the Kazon world, homeworld. Yes. And they're so preoccupied with hair that they don't have time to develop technology like a replicator. So. Yeah, or find water. Or find water, exactly. which is two elements: <laughs> hydrogen and oxygen. Yeah, that's um, it. That's all you need. That's it. You they just... can build a spaceship, but they can't find two elements and mix them together. Um, yeah, you just two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. <laughs> that's all you, you need. Got, you got two, we got two water. ingredients. <laughs> um, so what else did I have? Kess in sick bay. So when they when they bring the body uh, in. And bring mm -hmm. the, the body who's still alive, still has yeah, some life yeah. signs. And Kess is, uh, is helping the doctor. She's very proactive. So you see that she's really learning. Like she's got yeah. a solution. She says mm. this many milligrams of this and I'll run a blood test. And like, you know what I mean? She, she knows, yeah. which I think is great to see. She's her done her homework. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She's getting yeah. more proactive. You know, that away team that went over to uh, the Kazon ship and saw the bodies all fused. I mean, that could have been an opportunity for you or I to be on an away team. Like yeah. Balana and Tuvok and Chakotay. Like, I get that they had the whole story with Seska, but it would have been nice. I, I just, as, as I look back on some of these episodes and I see some characters that are just sitting on the bench for a long yeah. time, like yeah. myself at this point, mm -hmm. part of me is like, wow, I wish that they had kept 
you know, some of, some of, uh, some of us a little more involved, like you were on the away mission to the planet, but then that's about it, right? Yeah. That's it. it that's all you yeah. had. I'm like gonna it, bl- it, <laughs> it wouldn't have taken away from the tourism engineering and Chicote. It wouldn't have taken away if there had been some other involvement by people on the, on the away mission to find the bodies. That's all. I agree with you. And I, I also have to say that part of that is, is your fault. Why? <laughs> Why? Because Tom Paris is always saying, I'm the best pilot you could have. And so, you know, this bombardment of I'm the best pilot, I'm the best pilot. Everyone thinks that. So then whenever we choose an away team, they're thinking, not Paris, he's the best pilot we have. So we can't really risk him. Yeah. So, this, so I, I think you kind of like, <laughs> you pushed yourself into a corner on your own. You should have said like, I didn't do it. I'm a pretty damn good. I know, I know you didn't. So the writers pushed you into a corner because now they're basically, if they wrote you saying, I'm a pretty good pilot. You would have been on more away missions. <laughs> That's all. I'm okay. Then I'm an okay I'm average. pilot. I'm average. I'm, you got a bunch of good pilots on this I, show. You could have said, I'm better than most, is all you could have said. And then, then you would be on more away teams, I think. Yeah. The scene in engineering, when Bolana tells the captain that she doesn't exaggerate. Yes. I love that. It's Janeway is just like, she's like, I can have this done by tomorrow, Captain. And Jane was like, I'm, I'll have, I need that done by tonight. And she's like, no, no, Captain. Um, when I say tomorrow, I really mean tomorrow. And so that to me, yeah. that's a first because typically, you know, when you watch the original series, if Kirk says something to Scotty, Scotty's like, fine, Captain. All right, I'm on it. You know, and yeah. he's never, he never says like, no, okay, I can't get it to you in an hour. I'll get it to you in seven hours because that's what I told you already. Yeah. Right? So yeah, he yeah. never says that. He always ends up agreeing with the captain. So. I also think that it is a big deal. That moment st- stood out to me as well. Yeah. And I wish that they had slowed it down a little. It seemed to go by very quickly. Like she got, mm. Lana got very uh, combative. And the captain sort of went, well, okay, tomorrow it is. And then they were like, okay. Like, I don't know, you know what I mean? There could have been a bit of a buildup of like, you know, Taurus saying something and, and, and not knowing what Janeway's gonna, how she's gonna react. Like, holy crap, I just talked back to the captain, some silence and some looks around, you know, that it would have been nice to see other people's reactions to like, oh boy it's on and then the kind of finish of okay all right i'll let you go get away with that but it just flew by it was like when i say tomorrow i mean tomorrow oh okay then <laughs> what that just happened can i can anybody do that like it didn't seem like a big deal can i talk back can i tell the captain no, but that falls in line with over the seven years, none of us would mess with Roxanne because of the fact that she was, she's in another, she's in another whole nother yeah. galaxy, really, right? So I married her, so. You, yes, she's, she's a sassy one. So you, yes. just, you just let her be sassy. We already know that. <laughs> um, one thing before, before we go to engineering, after sick bay, they find, uh, they transport over the Kazon. And then there's uh, Janeway and Tuvok and Chakotay walk and talk from sick bay to the turbo lift and then yes. they stopped the turbo lift. What came back to me so vividly was as they walked out of sick bay and they're heading down towards the corner, they were walking really slow. And I was like, why are they walking so slow? I paused it and I went back and I was like, oh yeah, I remembered this. We used to try to time the scenes. Do you remember yeah. rehearsing oh, yeah. walk 
those walk and talks? Yes. So for everybody, uh, just so you know, they would write these scenes, you know, that they are heading from sick bay to a turbo lift, or they're heading from someplace to someplace in, in a hallway. But the scenes wouldn't always fit the length of the hallway exactly, right? Like if you're a normal person walking, you'd, you'd still be talking and you'd run out of hallway or, or you'd wanna get in the turbo lift, but you still had 30 feet to go. So it was really an art when we rehearsed. We'd, we'd actually go to the end often, like at the turbo lift, and we'd start walking backwards. Yeah. And we'd figure out where we start so that- Saying, saying the lines. Saying the lines so that you'd figure out where you start talking so that you can end up at the turbo lift at the right line. But sometimes you'd have to come out of sick bay like this scene, and you'd have to make the dialogue last all the way to the turbo lift, and they had too much dialogue. That's why yeah. they were walking so slow. So you watch them walking and it's like, why are they taking these really slow steps and, and turning the corner and they're still, because there seems to be some urgency, like they'd be moving a little faster. So I thought that I just had such vivid memories of those hallway scenes. And we basically had kind of two hallways. We had one that sort of snaked around from the holodeck past sick bay, past another short hallway to a turbo lift, and then down around to engineering. That was basically our number one hallway. Mm -hmm. And it kind of made a a bit of a serpentine, like an S shape sort of. Yeah, yeah. And then there was the one short hallway, but sometimes we'd have to piece together, we'd have to cheat it as if we were walking down a much longer hallway because exactly. we didn't have enough. We didn't have we enough. We just didn't hallway. have enough room, yeah. They should have made like a, you know, like a treadmill like floor that sort of moved. <laughs> so then we're just walking in place and it's fine, it's okay. But yeah, you're right. It was all about uh, timing that perfectly. And a lot of times we had too much dialogue and it didn't fit right, so. Yeah. Uh, walk extra slowly. Mm -hmm. So the introduction of the Kazan Nistrum leader is first Maj Kala, played by Anthony DeLongas, who we both know. Yes. Um, Anthony DeLongas, just to give a little background, um, he was my um, movement and stage combat professor at UCLA, at the UCLA Theater Department. And um, wonderful, wonderful guy. Um, he also instructed uh, Michelle Pfeiffer when she played Catwoman in the use of her bullwhip, because he is mm -hmm. uh, a master bullwhip uh, wielder. He was also in one of my other guilty pleasure movies, other than Masters of the Universe, would have to be Roadhouse with uh, Patrick. Oh Swayze. yeah, that's right. He played he played the lead bad guy in in that. Well, not the lead one, but this he was like a secondary henchman. He was the he was the one that um, he flipped a switch and a little knife came out of his boot, and he was trying to like kick um, Patrick Swayze with that knife that was the the blade that was attached to his boot. And he was the one that drove the big monster truck all over the dealership cars and everything like that. Um, that was Anthony DeLongas. And it was just super nice to, to see him on set, even though I didn't have really much to do in terms of scenes with him, but just to know that he was on yeah. the call, you know, and I, yeah. I came on a day that I wasn't working to say hi to him because this was my old teacher, you know, yeah. and you've worked, you've worked with him before, right? As, yeah, we did uh, um, masters, actually. masters of the universe. He played uh, blade, I think was the character. Okay. So he had all these swords and things, but I remember even on masters of the universe, he was, he would always play with that bullwhip. 
Like he was, yeah, that's his thing. That's his specialty. And I think we brought him on to Chuck. I think, I know he auditioned a bunch. I kept trying to use him on Chuck. Huh. Uh, but Anthony's awesome. He's a good, he's a good man. Yeah. Stunts and acting and, and teaching and all kinds of things. He's yeah. old, old school guy. Really yeah. good. I keep wanting to go back. Yeah, go back. Uh, go back. Seska goes rogue. Ch- Chakotay defends her. I, I, I guess at that point when Chakotay first defended her, I felt like it wasn't earned or sincere because he's defending her emotionally. But again, because in that earlier scene when she made tomato soup, uh, sorry, not tomato soup, uh, mushroom <laughs> soup. I just Plain, I love a tomato, tomato soup. soup. Uh, when she made the mushroom soup and then he realized that she had broken in, he got so angry at her that I just didn't buy his defense. Like he's defending her like, no way. She would never do anything. And he just saw her steal from the... So I found that a little confusing. I've, is, and I thought Robert did a great job in this episode. Mm-hmm. I thought uh, Martha Hackett did a great job. But I found some of that relationship and some of the detail a little conflicted that you know he why is he defending her so hard when he's already shown that he is uh, all about the rules and he's seen her break the rules but yet it's like he forgot about that i don't know i, I struggled with the consistency do you feel that if they if in prior episodes they showed more backstory of their relationship their how close they were maybe that would have yeah. made this pay off exactly i, I uh, think it was under it was underdeveloped mm-hmm. for this episode. Agreed. So they tried to squeeze everything into this one episode, and, and, yes. and it's hard to do all of that. I felt Lieutenant Carey said Torres very differently than everyone else. Torres, <laughs> Torres, Torres, Torres. Torres. I don't know. He, Lieutenant Carey was like, he's got very good speech, by the way. Super top-notch, grade-A sirloin we, speech. We, grade-A asparagus speech. We got to get him, we have to get him on this show. Yeah. We, need to, we, need to, we need to get him on this show for sure. His <laughs> enunciation is phenomenal. He's good. It is phenomenal, but he said Torres. <laughs> I was like, nah, you just lost points. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to go back and watch that. When when Torres uh, when Carrie Lieutenant Carrie is called into the, uh, the captain's office, by the way, the interrogation, the interrogation scene. Mm. There's a beautiful, beautiful backlight on Janeway. But what happens with a backlight is it it lights up all those flyaway hairs. Oh, and I had a flashback to sometimes we would get stuck in these scenes, and and Kate would get so frustrated because. You know, she'd get ready on her mark and action. And she'd get the emotion going and she's acting and they'd say, cut, 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 cut. And she'd be, what, what, what? And they'd say, oh, fly away, hair, hair. Can we have hair come in? And she would get so angry. Do you remember that? Yes. Now that you brought that up, I remember that. Oh yeah. my God, you're right. There like, are times oh. where she would, <laughs> because as an actor, especially when you know you've nailed it, and then to discover that you've got to redo that scene because of a flyaway in the hair. It's so annoying. And so she would really, you're right. Yeah. She got so mad at that. And that happened with her 
more than anybody else because I don't, I, you know, I didn't, yes. you didn't get a backlight when you're sitting on the bridge. I didn't get a backlight in my station. So really it was mostly for her, I think, uh -huh. right? And Janeway yeah. didn't, she wasn't always lit quite so uh, glamorously, but in that interrogation scene with Carrie, you can see it. You can see that glamour light on the back. You can mm. see all these flyaways. Yeah. And I'm surprised that I, she might've just said, stop it, I don't care. Like, yeah. You know, they probably tried to fix it and just gave up because sometimes um, it would it would really slow us down if they if she had that sort of glamour light. So, well, the times that I recall her being lit extra well were Colby episodes, mm -hmm. and that's because Rick Colby began romancing Kate Mulgrew. So that yeah, yeah. So if you think about that, I just remember there's a there's an episode where. <laughs> The camera has this really slow, slow movement in towards Kate. And it's just like the lights were perfect and the camera move was just perfect and everything was just about. And then every anyone else in the scene it was like, yeah, okay, just 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 put any old light on that person. Doesn't make it, it doesn't really matter. And does anyone have a cell phone? Just light them with a the cell phone. That's good enough. You know, I mean, it was literally just like my homage to Kate, who I'm falling in love with. And, yeah. and, that's, it's, and that's true, that's, uh, that is what happened. He did yeah. uh, end up having a, a relationship with Kate Mulgrew, the actress, yeah. the director yeah, they of Colby. They did, yeah. yeah. So, um, let's see. Did you notice that Janeway, after Seska beams out, and she says, Janeway says, you know, put a tractor beam uh, on that ship, and then, and then you report that, oh, wait, there's two more two kids more on ships coming. Janeway almost looks like she's about to cry. Did you did you catch that? I mean, to me, she felt it just for a split second. She was a it just this emotion was coming up, sort of like she. I did notice in this Ugh. episode she she was getting emotional in places. I was surprised, like like um, vulnerable in mm. places that I was surprised to see the vulnerability. Yeah, I think that's one thing that a lot of people love about her performance and her character was the ability to connect with her vulnerability in ways that previous captains had not, you know, that yeah. Shat Shatner had not connected with any vulnerability per right. se. And uh, Patrick Stewart, again, not, not so much vulnerability, certainly intellectual uh, curiosity and, you know, high, high intellect, but, but Kate's was from a, just a very vulnerable maternal place, you know? Well, she had more of that. And like I said in, in an earlier podcast, that when Berman said, if you, if you guys put too much emotion into it, you're going to get a memo saying to reshoot that scene. And I talked about, I reshot three scenes season one. Janeway reshot 30 scenes. I'm really curious to know when we do interview Kate, whether or not this was an episode that she had to, to reshoot some scenes from because because mm. uh, really she, I think she let the waterworks flow mm. um, and they were like nope that's way too much and so I would be curious to ask her I'm gonna make a mental note to, to ask her about yeah. the state of folks to see just in case um, the whole the whole bit about uh, Seska really not giving her blood sample because she's hiding the fact that she is Cardassian that to me I'm wondering because Discovery, I don't think you really watched, followed the Discovery episodes, the newer Star Trek. Um, uh, some of them. Okay. Because there's a character played by the, uh, the British actor Shazad Latif. He plays Ash yep. Tyler. Ash Tyler's human, but Ash Tyler in reality was Klingon, uh, the character Volk. Yep. And Volk had been changed to human, like altered, genetic, uh, they had plastic surgery, whatever it was, completely 
altered to be human. And I'm just curious if those discovery writers were watching Voyager and mm. this was, you know, this, this whole, you know, thing with interesting. Yeah, Interesting. Cardassian being being uh, uh, made to look like a Bajoran was really um, an influence of discovery. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Maybe. Mm -hmm. By the way, the captain in the uh, in sick bay when Anthony Delongas is in there, um, and she's whispering to the doctor. Do you remember they they have sort of a side conversation? She's whispering. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, it's you like guys walked away feet. five feet away. That set is not that big. You can't have whisper conversations in a in a silent sick bay five feet away so exactly. i just i found that to be i mean it works it you know it's it's yeah. classic filmmaking cheating but knowing how big that set was it's not that big it was a pretty small you know not certainly not big enough to be in the same room and whispering like she was and to add on to that scene, I also felt that when the guy flips that little switch and that little, the needle comes out of his ring, it's like that whole scene was just done so quickly. It was like, bah, 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 and it wasn't whatever camera angles they, that that director chose to use and into the pacing. It just was sort of like, what's going on here? It was, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't where, yeah. as believable as I thought it could be. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, it was, uh, again, it felt kind of old fashioned mm -hmm. to me. It felt exactly. like the original series, like, yep. like just meat and potatoes, nothing, yep. nothing special, yeah. nothing yeah. too complicated. Yeah. Uh, right. Very proud of Kess, who, you know, kind of caught the blood thing and the data, mm -hmm. the data bank, which led to, you know, Kess again, very critical character in early seasons. Like, mm -hmm. you know, very, she was on top of it. I loved when Kate said this line, I remember shooting this because she loved saying this line. And, you know, when we, when you're filming, we don't just film Kate say the line once. She says it on her, on her, on the master of every, the wide shot. She says it on, on a tighter shot of her. She says it maybe from this side. She says, she probably says the lines, you know, a couple dozen times. Yep. She relished every time, every take this line when she says, she says, you know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time, but I don't like bullies and mm. I don't like threats and I don't like you, Kala. Yeah. She loved that line. I remember I can when as soon as she said it, I can picture sitting down in the in the in the in the well down there, down in the uh on the front seat, and watching Kate say this line so many different ways and so many different times. I don't like most of the time, but I don't like bullies and I don't like threats and I don't like you. She loved that line. Um, very, uh, a very big female empowerment uh, scene for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. I didn't like when Seska says, Chicote, go ask your animal guide. I got uncomfortable there. Mm. I don't know why. <laughs> it just was like politically incorrect. Like, don't write it. Don't even have bad guys say that kind of stuff. Uh, Seska's voice began to change when she turned Cardassian, when it was revealed that she was Cardassian and she couldn't hide anymore. Did you notice yeah. her voice changed? The she voice, started, the quality of her voice? Yeah, like instead of this soft sort of non-threatening voice, she started getting a very threatening, strong voice. It was, in, it was a great actor choice, I thought. Yeah, yeah. And the last thing, right when Robert, when, when Chakotay came in the mess hall to talk to Tuvok, a couple last things. Mm. When that door opened to the the hallway where Robert was coming from. Do you remember at the end of the hallway, at the end of the mess hall, there was some doors that went out to a big open hallway. 
yeah. then there was the skinny hallway that went between, you know, down the middle of that set. Yeah. But I remember waiting in that big open hallway for entrances into the mess hall often. <laughs> Yeah. And because it was so big and open, it just begged for more silliness. And I remember <laughs> like being out there and like in the middle of like dancing around like goofy and all of a sudden you'd hear the door start to open. We just uh, walking in to the mess hall. I don't know why that particular end, because it was big and open, it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't just a small hallway coming in. It was kind of, you could make a big wide turn. And I just, I, I often remember being out there waiting for a cue to enter the mess hall and acting, just goofing off and <laughs> getting caught and things like that. And, and by the way, so Chakotay says to Tuvok at the end, he goes, he goes, let me just ask you, did you, did you have any idea that it was Seska? Like, and Tuvok's like, no, I didn't, I, you know, misery yeah. love company set up. Yeah. And I'm yeah. thinking, are you kidding me? Both of you idiots never, <laughs> it never occurred to you. Like every audience member that's been watching this knows that she's trouble. Yeah. And she's admitted to you, Chakotay, that she <laughs> stole and she wants to break rules and not listen to the captain and take, like, I just don't buy it that you yeah. never, yeah, I don't know. Those kind of things bug me when it's like, I get the, I get the point they were trying to make as writers, right. but you've already seen her reveal herself to Chakotay, certainly. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Tuvok's not an idiot. So like, no, I just don't buy that. They both go, yeah, we, nobody saw this one coming. Don't buy it. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Are you That's good? That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because you got, you really, became very opinionated on this episode like of things that you liked and didn't like and interesting and you were quite you were quite critical of, of this particular episode which i'm i'm surprised oh, so well. i i don't know is there something going on in your life that you haven't told me <laughs> i just maybe i'm hungry you're hangry not hungry but hangry angry and hungry together yeah so robbie what do you what, what would you say would be the underlying message or Mm, you know, what can we learn? Well, how can we better our lives um, from mm. any type of the themes from this episode, um, State of Flux? Huh. I think that um, to go along with the kind of where my focus and theme has been the chakotay seska relationship, um, I think the lesson is how easily we can all let our emotions and our relationships um, distort our vision to really see what's really going on in front of us. And Chakotay wanted to believe Seska. He wanted to trust her. He wanted um, to be able to rely on her so much that he, he, uh, his emotions about her got in the way and he wasn't able to, I mean, Tuvok says it in that, I think that final scene, something like that, like, yeah, you know, yeah. you humans let your emotions uh, affect cloud your thinking and uh yeah this episode wasn't as easy to kind of extract a lesson for humanity yeah. than um than other episodes so for me i'm just going to since there were so many adages and old sayings being used um I, i'm gonna basically say beware of a wolf in sheep's clothing or 
specifically for this episode, beware of a Cardassian in Bajoran clothing. Yeah. yeah. Nice. You like that? That's a nice saying. All right. Nice. Or oh, maybe I should alter that. Like, beware of a Cardassian in Bajoran face. <laughs> Bajoran <laughs> genetics. Genetics. Bajoran makeover. Yes. <laughs> nice. All right. I like it. <laughs> okay, so that would be our uh, recap and analysis of State of Flux. Thanks so much, guys, for tuning in. And um, we look forward to next week's episode, Heroes and Demons. We'll see you then.